For those who um, are uh, visitors uh, today, um, we've been uh, just started going through uh, the book of Exodus, really, uh, looking at the life of Moses uh, to see uh, what he can tell us and what he can, uh, uh, we, we can learn from his life. And um, uh, last week I was preaching um, uh, all about the plagues. And uh, this week I'm moving on uh, to something a little bit different. Uh, so if you'd like to turn to, with your Bibles, although you don't need to because um, it's there already. Um, it's Exodus 12, 31 to 42. It's the Passover. In case you think we've forgotten communion, we haven't. We're going to break bread at the end of the meeting today because I thought it might be a little bit more uh, appropriate. So during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and go. Oh, and by the way, he said, uh, bless me as well. Um, the Egyptians, I'll put that little bit in, a little bit of that in. There wasn't all in there. Uh, the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people when they gave them and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So there's the story. That's the Passover has happened. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And the, the result has been that the, 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 Egyptian, the Israelites are going to be freed from slavery. Uh, it started before that, the night before, it said that... The start, I'm getting used to it, all right, I'm getting the hang of it. Um, the night before, they had to have a lamb. They had to have a Passover meal. They had to have a year-old lamb. They had to have had it for about four days uh, before. Uh, there had to be enough for one family, or if they were small families, they had to come together to be shared between the families. Nothing was to be left until morning. And one further odd requirement, that when they slew the lamb, they had to sprinkle blood from the lamb on the doorposts and on the slintel at the top. Uh, I'll get hang of this in a minute. So the Passover meal is eaten, and then at midnight, the angel of the Lord passes over. And the Bible says, no sound is heard. Not even a dog would bark. But in every Egyptian household, the eldest, the firstborn, would die. And even the firstborn animals were going to die. The Bible says that in the homes of the Egyptians there was loud wailing 
as they discovered and mourned their dead. No one was exempt from the king down to the lower list servant. Someone died that night. Unless the houses had been sprinkled with blood on the doorposts. So the message for the Israelites and for us was that being born a Hebrew was not in itself enough. There were conditions that applied. Birthright could not bring salvation. Only the blood of the Lamb. And we've been singing several songs this morning about the blood of the Lamb. We're going to celebrate a Passover feast in a way, a, a new one, at the end of this message. So today, being born in a Christian country, or having Christian parents, or dare I even say, even being a regular church attender, simply is not enough. Salvation only comes through the blood of the Lamb. Can you see it? Salvation for the Israelites only came through the blood of the Lamb. The blood that Jesus shed on that cross. He became, the Bible says, our Passover Lamb. For us, of course, today, it isn't blood on the doorpost that saves us, but the blood of Jesus on the cross that brings life out of death. All the conditions that God laid down had to be met. So if anybody who had eaten that Passover meal and then got out into the night, they would not have been protected. Any house that didn't have the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorposts would also have not been protected. protected. Each family had to be under the saving grace of the blood of the lamb. And the example set by Jesus of being the Lamb of God, slain for us, has distinct echoes back to the freeing of the Israelite nation. We cannot, we must not take what Jesus did for us on the cross lightly. Each and every one of us has come to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to enable us to be set right in the sight of God. The message actually is brutally clear. Either you are saved by the blood of the Lamb or you are not. Many people would uh, you talk to are convinced that actually on the night, on the last day if you like, God will let everyone into his kingdom. That he will have a a, a nodding acquaintance. Well, actually, I didn't live a bad life. Actually, I know many, many people who live good lives. But they're not Christians. I know many people who have come from Christian families. But they're not Christians. But they seem to have this idea that it's going to be a wink and a, yeah, all right, son, you go around the back and we'll leave the door open for you, and in you go. Actually, it's not going to be like that. And this word here for us is very, very clear when we're talking to non-Christians. See, there are no half measures. God did not differentiate between good or bad Egyptians on that Passover night. No blood on the door lintels meant no salvation for the occupants. 
the message is clear. Either you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, or you're not. Doubtless there were many, many good Egyptian uh, families who were good and kindly to their Israelite slaves. But they still came under that same judgment. The Bible says quite clearly that goodness is not good enough. In Romans 3 it says, and it's quite chilling words, there is no difference at all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace that comes by Jesus Christ. All have sinned. In Isaiah it says somewhere else um, that our, our most righteous acts are like filthy rags, an offence to God. Everyone comes under the same condemnation. But there's preparation for the journey. See, the Passover wasn't just the beginning. It wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. God had a journey for them to take, which was to last for 40 years before they came to the promised land. The title of this message actually is called On a Journey with God. They were going to go on a journey. And so for us, salvation doesn't end at the cross. It's only the beginning of a lifetime's journey with Jesus. God took a disparate, rebellious group of people, linked actually only by a common heritage, and was going to mould them into a nation. That nation of Israel became a viable force, and still is. You compare Israel today with its Arab neighbours of Egypt, of Jordan, of Lebanon, even Syria. They are the most powerful nation in the Middle East. And I know you can argue that they get help from America and the other, but actually Israel, when it came together, became a very powerful nation. Likewise, the new kingdom of Christians that Jesus came to establish is still making a massive impact on the world today. And our task here in Wrexham is to bring the good news of the gospel to every town and to every village and to establish communities of Bible-believing people wherever God sends us. We feel at this Gateway Church that we've, uh, God's told us to start a church here. There are many other churches in this town, but God has given us a very clear mandate, we feel, to go out and plant churches across the whole of North Wales and beyond. That's what he's told us to do. That's why we're here. That's our purpose of being Gateway Church. That's why we're not, and no disrespect to any other church, we're not in many, any other churches. We feel we've got a clear call from God, a, call re- uh, a clear reason for our being. We are here to establish Bible-believing New Testament churches here in North Wales and to move out from here. I was talking to a man yesterday uh, at the garden party and uh, uh, he was telling me about his view of what God was and, 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 and what the church needed. And sadly, I said to him, what sort of church do you go to? He said, I go to a, an Anglican church. How many of you are there in the church? Seven. And you think, you're, ha- have, you're not going to have an impact on the town with seven. You've got to put some basics into being. You can't add on bits and pieces. You've got to come back 
to the word of God and establish yourself properly. But of course, this journey was going to have many dangers. God didn't take the Israelites directly to Canaan as he knew that this fledgling nation was in no shape to fight for its existence. They'd been taken out of Egypt, but they hadn't got Egypt out of their system. And that can help. You can be taken out of the world, become a Christian, but then you've got to work and get the world out of your Christian. Does that make sense? That's quite hard work sometimes. You see, they still had the mentality of slaves. They feared their masters, but at the same time, being very dependent on them for their safety and security. It's a bit like, actually, Russia. When, when, when uh, the, uh, uh, Glasnost came and, and, and the communist state broke down to a large extent, many, many people said we actually preferred it under communism. Why? Well, our housing was cheap. The food was pretty rough and pretty basic, but we got it every day. We preferred that to freedom. And there's still this balance going on in places like Russia, Ukraine, and places like that. We're saying, actually... We're not so sure we want freedom. Because freedom brings responsibility. Freedom means that you've got to start doing things. Do you remember Jesus when he went to the pool? I can't remember the name of it now. But the the pool, which which was shaken and stirred. And if you could slip in while the water was being troubled like that, you were healed. And there was a man who cried out. He'd been there for 30 years. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? Strange question for a man that's crippled. But actually he had to ask that question. What do you want me to do? I want to be healed. Why, why did he ask that question? Well, the question was asked because actually he'd got a lifestyle like this. He was carried there every day. He didn't have to go out of work. He didn't have to worry about feeding himself. Somebody did that. He begged a bit. But <coughs> basically his lifestyle was said, what do you want? And so it was for the Israelites. They were coming out of Egypt. They were coming out of slavery, but they weren't quite ready yet. They needed the visible presence of God as a cloud by day and a pillar of of fire by night to reassure them of his continuing presence. And he never left them. But they were still doubting. The Israelites immediately became terrified when they became aware that Pharaoh had yet again changed his mind and was now pursuing them using fast chariots and cracked troops. And despite the very visible presence of God with them, they started to complain that it would have been better to be alive in slavery than to face death in freedom. That uh, syndrome is now known as the Stockholm Syndrome where hostages, once they've been captured, actually become to like their captors and actually start to think like their captors and can actually resist the opportunity of freedom. Their plight, of course, was very real. All around them is desert. In front of them, the impenetrable sea. And behind them, the army getting ever nearer. Quite a desperate situation to find yourself in as redeemed people. Something that Christians tend to find actually happening to them 
again and again and again. Fortunately, God had a cunning plan. He was going to do two things at the same time. He was going to save them through the waters and, once through, destroy the pursuing army of the Egyptians. If only they would trust in God, he would take them through and deliver them once and for all from their enemy. Many times in our lives, you are faced, we are faced with decisions. Shall I do this or shall I do that? Shall I go here or shall I go there? Shall I marry this man or woman, even though they're not Christian, or shall I wait for God? You with me? We come many times with decisions. And they had a decision to make at that time. They could have returned to slavery at that point if they'd failed to take courage and go through the waters, which by now were towering above them on either side. But by going through them onto the other side, they were declaring a newfound faith, no matter how weak or inconsistent, in the salvation of God. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fantastic scripture that. Any time the Jehovah's Witnesses come round and my wife uh, lets me talk to them, which is very rare, um, uh, but if they do, I invariably ask them this. I quote this scripture. Because when they start to talk to me, I, I say to them things like, um, right, so then, are you, do you believe this word of God? Do you believe it's the word of God? Oh, yes, they say, we believe it's the word of God. Well, I say, well, so do I. So if I believe its promises and do as it says, do you think then I will be saved? Oh, yes, they say, you will, thinking, but you've got to buy a subscription to watch that first. But they never say that. There. So I would take them to these verses and say, but it's quite clear here then that if I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth, I will be saved. And it says, Any, everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. So then I'm saved, aren't I? Are you? And of course, they will never answer that question. Do you know that? You say that, are you? They were, oh, well, oh, well, it depends, you see. If I, and, 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 and actually, they, 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 cannot, they cannot claim salvation. They never, ever claim salvation. They never, oh, you believe in all this grace stuff, don't you? Yeah, I do. All right? So, two things are essential to a new life in Jesus. To believe in our hearts and to confess with our mouth that Jesus is now Lord of our life. As a public witness to this change of kingship, we are urged to take a step of obedience and go through the waters of believers' baptism. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian, does it? 
Come on, let's test your theology. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian, does it? No. Good, that's what you... Otherwise I should keep you here until you get the right answer. Right? It doesn't make you a Christian. All it is, is a public witness. It's a public witness that by going through the water, you have passed from death to life. Would you agree with that? We're saying that our old life has now died in Christ and is being, we're being reborn to a new life in Jesus. We uh, need no longer, the Bible tells us, to be slaves of sin. We've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Can you see the, can you see the, the syncretism? I like that word, can't spell it, but right, where these things are all coming together. Can you see it? Between the Passover blood of the Lamb and the Lamb of, of, on the cross. Between salvation from, from slavery, freedom from sin and slavery, freedom from sin and slavery, passing through the waters, attesting to what God has done. So likewise, the Israelites, on the verge of going into the promised land, well, give or take 40 years or so, um, also passed through the waters from an old life of slavery to a new life as the people of God. They became a people belonging to God. He told Pharaoh that they were his son. If you look in Exodus 4, 23, it says this, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Pharaoh knew this from before the very beginning of the plagues. He was told, Israel, a nation, is my firstborn son. If you don't let them go, I will take your firstborn sons. All right? They had a choice. He had a choice. Before any of the plagues came, he said, set my people free. Set my son free, Israel. If you don't do this, I will take your firstborn son. And that's precisely what happened. So we become precious in God's sight when we become Christian. Peter describes it thus. But you, that's me, my name, your name, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises to him who called you out of darkness. You could put in brackets there, slavery, into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you see the echoes of that going back nearly 3,000, 2,000 years to that time in Israel? Can you see it for yourself? You were once not a people. You were once out there. But then God came and called you into his kingdom. And for each of us here, we didn't become Christians, did we not, and en masse. We didn't all stand up one day. No, it became Fleur heard, Denzel heard earlier, Paul heard, Roland heard, Brian heard at different times. Did you not? Rupert heard, Rachel heard. Can you hear that? Andrew heard. 
call of God comes on our lives individually. We're hand-packed. He says, I want this one. And I want that one. What's an answer to? I'll have you. <laughs> and you. And you. <laughs> and you. Can you hear that? It's an individual response to God. So can you see the significance of those events all those hundreds of years ago in your own life and your own belief and your own walk with God? Unlike the Israelites, of course, we do not have a visible presence of God with us signified by cloud or fire. Instead, we have God's given us a new covenant with us, the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, leading us by day and night, helping us from slavery that leads to death into a new life. Paul tells us this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, hey, what's this? There's a, there's, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us, church. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that wonderful? You are now a new creation. The old has gone. The old life has gone. The old sins have gone. The old problems have gone. You're now a new creation. Not that Jesus for one moment is promising that there will be no problems. You know, Christians don't get ever unemployed. Christians don't ever get ill. Christians don't ever become poor. All Christians become rich. We don't believe that, do we? We believe that actually we, we, we are afflicted with many, many things. We don't believe in this. All Christians, you know, if you give a hundred dollars, God will repay you a thousand. We don't believe that, do we? I hope not, anyway. Unless, of course, you want to give me a hundred dollars, in which case I will bless you. But we don't believe that. We don't believe in this prosperity ministry. Do we? No. We don't believe that Christians never have experienced any problems, do we? No. Some of us in this room, some of our families are unemployed. Suddenly they're out of work. Suddenly things aren't working quite well as they would, as we wanted. Things don't always work out for us. But we're a new creation. Something's happening within us. And God is saying, I've now taken you and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you personally to reach out. I'm going to use you personally to touch lives. I'm going to use you personally to extend my kingdom. That's why many of us came here to Wrexham to join this church. I said last week, many of us who came... Uh, I actually haven't recovered all the, 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 the some, some lot, I said last week, and we pointed out that some people lost jobs. Some people haven't m managed to find the same sort of employment. Some people are not living as well as they did four or five years ago before they came here. Yes? God doesn't promise you untold riches. But what he does say is, you will be useful.
but there are works of service that I've planned for you. You're on a journey, church. You're on a journey. Will you come with me? We don't have to fight with spears and swords to take over the land God's called us into. Instead, we are charged with taking the gospel into every place, whether it's at work, whether it's at college, whether it's at home. Sadly, we will see in later talks that that generation of the Israelites were unbelieving and refused to accept all that God had prepared for them, a land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't go into the promised land, those people that came out. They wandered for 40 years in the desert because they were disobedient, disbelieving, had no confidence in God. And God had to wait until another generation came through before that could happen. We're privileged to live in Wales, a land that has experienced many things, including some wonderful revivals. Revival that stopped, I'm told, at uh, the town, a village of Ross, town of Ross, uh, just up the road there. Stopped there, didn't actually come into Wrexham. And it stopped. There are many churches, many chapels in Wales uh, that, that give evidence of, of the revival that broke through. Many of them have closed, been converted. A new generation has got to rise up and go in, take the land. There was a land flowing with milk and honey. For us today, we have a promised land to inhabit if we're prepared to walk with God in faith and obedience. Many things planned for us individually and corporately as a church. And I really do believe that. I believe that the call of God is on, on lives here. God's going to do things with you. Some of you, I know, have been in this town for many years. Some of you haven't. Some of you uh, 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 were, were active in churches where you are. And it seems to quieten down a little bit. Actually, God's going to take you on. He's many things planned for us, individually and corporately as a church. The question is, of course, are we prepared to walk by faith? Are we prepared to put our past life behind us and enter into all that God would have us do? For anybody here this morning that's not a Christian, that has never come to that point in their life of saying, I look at myself and I look at God and I know that there's no way that that bridge will ever be crossed that cross will do that for you when Jesus came and died on that cross 2,000 years ago actually that cross travels through eternity comes into lives now comes before you now faces you now and says now is the time for you to come to me I can give you new life I can take all of your old life and put it away the temptation of course is when we're young is to say I'll put it off I'll do it tomorrow I'll do it another day I'll do it later 
I don't want to get maudling at this point, but as you know, um, just three, five days ago, six days ago, last year, we lost our grandson, just three days short of his 16th birthday. He went to bed that night. He never woke up in the morning. For that family, fortunately, he was a Christian. But we never know when our knife is going to be snuffed out. We never know when God's call is going to come us. We never know. And so we need to understand. So we can come to that point today. Please, if you feel God is speaking to you, don't go away before you've spoken to someone here. Perhaps Roland and Kay and Chris and Rachel can come and just prepare this bread uh, and this wine for us because we're going to celebrate something that God did all those years ago. He did a Passover meal. And at a Passover meal, Jesus did a similar thing but a different thing. He took bread and he took wine which was going to be eaten at that Passover meal. And he said to his disciples, and he was just hours away from his crucifixion, he said, I want you to do this simple thing when you gather together. I want you to take bread. And I want you to break bread together. I want people to have bread. What is bread? It's, it, it's grain. It represents the body of Christ, given for you, given for you, given for you. And I want you to do that in remembrance of me. I want you to remember the time when I came and saved a nation, my precious son. I want you also to take wine. Red wine. And I don't want you to sprinkle it on the doorposts and the lintels. But I want you to remember that this is the blood that I gave in ransom for your life. For the Israelites, they had to sacrifice a, a lamb. Something had to die for them to receive life. Do you understand that? And that's what Jesus did for us. He took your sin with your name on it and put it on his cross. And he washed that cross with blood. His blood. He shed blood for you. That's why we sang some of these songs that said, your blood avails for me, or your, your blood has set me free, or your blood has made me clean. That's what it is. And so what we say to you this morning is, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, will you come and break bread with us? Will you come and share with us? doesn't matter which church you come from, because Jesus didn't say, this is only for X, Y, Z church in, in X. He said, no, no, do this wherever you are. For every Christian in this room, you're invited to come and break bread. Not with Wrexham Church, but with the ever-present Jesus. Remembering again what he's done for you. Will you do that? Will you come?
If you're not a Christian, you're not sure of your faith, then don't bother to come out. But talk to maybe one of us later on. If you feel, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to give my life now to Jesus. Then you come, take it as your first communion. Can we just pray? Father God, oh Lord, we just thank you that we can gather in this town, in this place, and worship you, read your scriptures, hear your word. But Lord, most of all, we thank you that we are able to come and break bread together and remember all that you've done. Father, I want to pray for us collectively today. Lord, will you just wash our hands so that we can come clean? Lord, if there are things that we've said or done or things that we've not said or not done, we want to just lay them before you right now, Lord. And say, will you cleanse me afresh, that I may take of this bread, I may drink of this wine. This is a covenant, Lord, that you laid down that signifies that for believers, they would go on into eternal life. So Lord, will you just bless us now as we just rise up from our seats, as we come uh, together, as we come, we're only on, on our own, Lord, that we come with other people, Lord. And just worship you in honesty and truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I urge you to go to either uh, Roland and Kay or to uh, Chris and Rachel over there uh, and, and just break bread together. And uh, as we do this, we're, we're gonna, at the end of this, we're going to sing a song, are we not? We think so. We might do. She feels like it. Right. Okay. Let's break together. <laughs>